I'm Chip Freud, and this is the Artist Spotlight, conversations with contemporary artists based on five simple questions that explore the artist's journey, creativity, and sources of inspiration. Welcome to another episode of the Artist Spotlight podcast. I'm Chip Freund, and today I'm joined by Lois Blasberg. Following a successful career as a graphic designer, Lois traded in her graphics tools for a paintbrush. Her work often includes floral and landscape themes and always an abundance of color. Lois, welcome to the show. Hi, Chip. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm glad we were able to work this out. What we I like to start off with is to have you tell our audience a little bit about a project you're currently working on or maybe something you just finished, something to kind of give them a sense of what you're up to these days. These days, I'm working on something that's really exciting to me. I am working on eliminating the need for glass in my watercolor paintings. I've seen it done lately and where people are varnishing and or waxing their watercolors so that you don't have to put them behind the glass or mat them. You can mount them on cradles, like, or you can mount them in traditional frames, much like a watercolor, an oil painting or an acrylic. Interesting. I look forward to, uh, to seeing the results of that. Well, thank you. Yeah, come by the gallery, take a look. They're, they're being, the paintings themselves, I think, are more well-received because they're not behind glass. Yeah. Well, it probably allows, you know, the viewer to have a little more intimate connection with the work. So that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. Well, cool. Well, the first question out of our, our five is, what is your earliest memory of making art of any kind? Oh gosh, there were so many pictures that came to mind with that question. Just drawing on friends' front porches and with markers, you know, the kind that used they used to have scented markers or colored yeah. crayons, and I had all the colors in the crayons. And but I think the one that speaks to me most is the memory of painting with watercolors my mom had set up watercolors for us to paint with but I was spending more time just changing the color in the water the rinse water than I was actually painting I was just fascinated by transparency and color change and, and what adding a little bit of this color would do to it or a little bit of that and I think playing in the kitchen with with the watercolors is one of my stronger memories as a child. And that was young, really young. Yeah, about how old? Oh, preschool or kindergarten. Okay, so you've got a, a, a kind of a lifelong connection with watercolor then. Yes, a lifelong connection to it, but I didn't practice it for a very long time again. I, you know, I had a couple of classes in high school and then I went to college for design um, at State, NC State, which is an outstanding program, but I did not get a lot of opportunity to paint, except for this wonderful illustration class. And my media, I chose my media as watercolor. And that class just really resonated with me, even though the professor was out sick almost the entire semester, but it gave me an opportunity to work with my media kind of self-directed a lot of the time. Went on, I graduated, and then I was an art director and 
working on the internet for many years. And then I stayed home with my daughter. And I just would once in a while pick up the watercolors. And it wasn't until about half a dozen years or so ago that I really got serious about painting again. I took a couple acrylic classes just because I knew some people that were teaching them and I wanted to take some classes. So that was, that seemed like an easy approach. And I, I just wasn't an acrylic painter. I'm a watercolorist by nature. I love the transparency and the things that watercolor can do so much better than acrylics or oils, just that zoom across the page. It's so exciting and no. a little bit terrifying too sometimes because it's like you don't necessarily you have to work with the watercolors they, they kind of you have to cooperate with them they have a to an extent a life of their own and I'm afraid I've wandered from the question because I don't remember the question I started <laughs> answering <laughs> well, you've actually wandered right into question number two quite effectively Oh, excellent. <laughs> Which is what brought you to your current medium of uh, watercolor. So I think you, you've you addressed that beautifully. Thank you. Oh, great. Do you want, to, do you want me to expound on what the things If, if there's anything about? else you want to add to that story, please <laughs> sure. do. Sure. Um, I love just the colors, how they affect each other, how they, the transparency, the glow of light that you get from the paper. It, there's just something about that. And also there's a lot of practicality for my life about watercolors. I can pick up and put down watercolor and not have to worry that my brushes will be ruined if I don't get back to it for another couple hours. And I like to keep my hands clean. I just, I don't wanna be surrounded in solvents and covered in acrylic paint. There's just so many things beyond the obvious beauty mm. of watercolors that just really attracts me to the to the medium. Now I get sidetracked. I will go off and I'll take a workshop on something else, and then I buy all those products and kind of I give you give a pig a pancake kind of artist. But I'm always going to come back to being a watercolorist because that's just who I am. Well, it's interesting. I've talked to several other artists who have this idea that by experimenting in other medium, it, it fuels a sense of creativity, even though they may come back to their primary one. So exactly. Like I just took a wonderful workshop two weekends ago from Patty Vincent, and it was on painting little landscapes in gouache. It was a wonderful workshop because it was what I got out of it was simplifying. They were, we were working on two inch paintings with a three quarter inch brush. So it was about simplifying um, the process. We had one brush, we had a limited palette and in um, very small size to, so you had to simplify your shapes to get across what you needed. And now I'm enjoying that and I'm going to do a, I'm going to try and do a small painting every day, whether it be gouache or watercolor, but that was kind of the impetus is to do the daily painting practice mm. a little more simplistically, because if I know anything about myself, I am an art supply hoarder and I will buy every supply that I can remotely justify 
<laughs> related to art, you know. Uh, gouache is a new term to me. What what is the uh, the art form there? Or what is the media? Oh, gouache is an opaque watercolor. So if you think back to when you were younger and you used to use poster paint or tempera, I think is something similar. That's like the child's version of it. It's it's if you it's that kind of consistency. So it rewets uh, not as nicely as watercolor in the palette, but it's it's got some crossover because you get the opaque qualities that you get in a, an acrylic and oil that you don't get in watercolor. So it's like you have an undo button mm. that you don't have in watercolor. Watercolor, you have, you know, if you don't get it right the first time, your um, your options are much more limited to correct a mistake and you just have to, you know, live with it and work on the fly. And gouache artists really appreciate the velvet nature, the velvety texture of a water, of a, of gouache paintings and also the ability to add white over the top. So you're kind of painting back in watercolor. It's you reserve all your whites and in gouache or acrylic, for example, you put the white, you can put the whites on last. So you, your brain, my brain, brain is going a little nuts, flipping back and forth. It's, but that's kind of fun too. You know, it always brings some maybe excitement back to your media of choice. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Uh, fun for me to learn about a, a new media that I, I'd not known, not being any kind of a painter. Yeah. The, um, the point you brought up there of having a, a limited set of tools, smaller, um, you know, base that you're working off of, a large brush, limited palette, all of those things. That same tech concept I use in my photography, when I get to a point where I'm just really struggling for creativity and something I learned years ago, I can't claim that I came up with it, but um, instead of having a, a camera with a zoom lens and all these different settings, you know, I'll go with one set, uh, one setting and one lens and just force myself to go take 10 images of the same subject with oh, cool. all the same settings. So I'm taking yeah. all of those variables out and none of those photos may turn into anything, but it forces my brain to think more creatively. Um, and it, it's the same sort of concept. Let's strip away the options and just get down to the fundamentals of simplifying what you're doing. Exactly. You could do that with a Polaroid camera. Exactly. Same thing. You could put one up on the wall every day. Well, and, and there's a number of artists who actually use Polaroid as their medium because of that. There, there's a wonderful sense of you're committed, right? You can't even go back and edit it in Photoshop because it's already in your hand. Exactly. Exactly. What fun. Yeah, yeah. So this brings us to question number three, which is, you know, what inspires your art? Where does it come from? I'm inspired by nature. I'm inspired by florals and landscapes. I'm inspired by things that make us happy and maybe are not important in the sense of politics or what's, whatever's going on in the world. 
it's it's my joy to bring somebody else just a little bit of happiness, hopefully, when they look at it, to spark it. I don't do a lot of ominous paintings. It's, it's just, I'm just trying, it's just more beauty for beauty's sake. And sometimes the beauty is in something like my daughter, a pair of my daughter's vans, her, you know, her shoes that I painted. And so it doesn't have to be something that's obviously gorgeous to everybody, but I try to, they're often close range when I do still lifes of florals or, or still lifes. It's, it's just kind of seeing something that pretty, that maybe you would have walked by you know, or maybe not. Uh, I think that that speaks to why I like your work so much, because there's an element, you know, we have very different looks to our work, obviously, aside even from the media, but where it seems to come from is similar. Um, I'm all about calm and peace, you know, and beauty in my exactly. work. I love um, your work, by the way. Well, thank you. Um, Whereas I know there are some artists that, you know, are, are trying to make a real, for lack of a better term, a political statement or some sort of social statement with their art. Or, or a difference in the world. Or right. Something. Or it comes from a place of great angst. I actually can't even go out and create images unless I'm in the right headspace. If if I'm not in that that sort of positive mental headspace if i go out and try to shoot it is an incredibly frustrating experience for me mm -hmm. uh, and you know i've got some close people around me that say you just need to get out and shoot more you need to get out and shoot more and i'm like yeah but when i do if i'm not in the right headspace it, it actually defeats the purpose it comes out in your art yeah yeah um so uh um uh, I hadn't thought about that connection of why I, I just continue to be drawn to, to your work, but it's 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 that similar sort of beauty for beauty's sake, um, as well as seeing the things that people walk by. Um, one of my uh, uh, early ones that I really loved that uh, of mine that other people really loved was literally a stick lying in Lake Johnson, um, just on the edge of the lake, a, a dead stick in the water. Uh, but it was a foggy day. And there's this wonderful uh, sort of ombre effect of the blue of the water going up into the white of the fog. And then this simple reflected stick. Right. Everybody's going to walk right past that. But I saw but it saw and I couldn't. <laughs> there's something that some elegance in the simplicity. And there's, I mean, and what's more wonderful in a painting than, or a photo than fog? You know, mm. that depth, that sense of the ephemeral, you know? Oh, absolutely. I, I love to shoot in the fog. And it's one of the great frustrations is it's very hard to predict fog. Uh, you can predict rain. You can predict snow. You can predict temperature. You can predict cloud cover. But fog is one of the hardest things to predict <laughs> until, you know, okay, we know you know, just a few hours, we're probably going to have it. Okay, I totally going to scrap what I was going to do tomorrow morning. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I digress. Um, the next question gets to what advice would you give an artist just starting out? 
Oh, gosh. I think the best advice I could give anyone starting out, and anyone continuing for that matter, is find a good critique group. And I belong to a critique group now for about seven years here in Cary, and it's led by wonderful Dan Nelson. And a group of us have been, that group's been going on for about 12 years. And we, we just get so much out of it. There's not anybody that has come regularly that has not improved. And it's just amazing when you see, it's like, wow, how far they've come in a year or two years or five years. And, and to also learn, you may get a lot of great advice. You're not going to get all of it won't be great, or you can't take all of the great advice together and put it in one painting. So you have to kind of, you'll learn what advice resonates with you, what seems like it makes sense to you. So you have to have confidence in yourself to say, mm, no, thank you. <laughs> you just say in your head, well, well, maybe next on the next painting. But, but it, I think that's the best experience and to get together with other artists. So we, we just enjoy that so much. We have a monthly one. How do you know a group is a good critique group? What makes a good critique group? Maybe that's a better way to put the question. A good critique group has some artists that have a lot of experience, especially across media. I think diversity of media is important because people can tell you, tell you things. I can help people with watercolor, maybe acrylics, maybe a little bit of gouache now, but um, I don't have any experience in oils. I can't help you with oils. I can't help you with colored pencils. I can, I can tell you about design and painting, but I can't help you with technique. So people that can help you with technique as well as art. And there's, I'm separating that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Also different levels of artists. They don't all have to be amazing artists. But they all and people come from at it come at it from different directions, and the willingness to meet you where you are. It's important to be in a critique group that is positive and um, supportive. You know, you don't have to tell people all twenty things that are wrong with a brand new artist painting. You tell them two or three things that you think would help improve their painting the most and give encouragement. And, and you remember the paintings that were done last week or, or, or last month. And you're like, oh, well, remember, I, we can see you applied this that you learned last time. It's really important to, be, to go in it with positive people that know how to find the good things in your work as well as the things that might improve it. I don't want to go in and critique this. Everybody's gonna say, oh, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. And well, thank you, but what can I do better? What, you don't want just compliments. You do want, I don't, I, I wanna learn, I wanna grow. And, and I love to see the artists, it's fun. No, it's, uh, I think that's a good point. And, and that's a, that's a, I think a first for the podcast. No one has suggested joining a critique group before. 
So I think that's a that's a great addition to the the advice column, if you will. Is oh, good. Find, find that that group that can help encourage and develop your art. But at the same time, I got to think that that's can also be very intimidating for a beginning artist to sort of put it out there. Um, yes, it is. It isn't. It can be intimidating. And if you're not sure at first, like our critique group, we've had people come. We just like if we know somebody from a class that we think would benefit from joining. We'll say, hey, why don't you come? And you don't have to bring art every time. Why don't you just come in, sit there, get a feel for the room, see if it's something you'd enjoy. And um, and even sometimes if I don't have a new painting to show, I'll go anyway. Because I just get so much, I learn so much about other media, about different rules and quotes of art and when to break them and when not to break them and why this person's skyscape isn't working is because you know because they need to break something off the top edge of the paper that translates across any medium mm -hmm. and so yeah i think go sit in see if you enjoy it yeah. and if you think that the, they are giving and getting good advice well, I think that's a that's a great approach is to sort of observe and see how others are doing and how you'd feel there. Uh, I'm part of a photographer's uh, group, and one of the things that and uh, we meet uh, once or twice a month, and everybody is encouraged to bring five images to share. And when they're they're put up on the screen, the first thing from the facilitator is, "What are you looking for? Are you looking just to share them?" are you looking for feedback? So right there, you don't, you can share your work without having to get you know, effective criticism. Hopefully it is effective and not just criticism um, right. but to get that critique. But I, I loved that element of it that you could sort of walk in softly in a sense. I'm just here to share them. So you could do that first. And then- Yeah, sometimes you'll see, Sometimes you'll know, you'll get a little bit of a clue if it's already signed and behind glass. <laughs> you know? Okay, yeah. so this is for your next painting. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes you don't, you can't or you won't go back. You don't have time to go back or you kind of, you're done with this painting. Yeah. Or, or and, I, and I say painting, but it's also drawing or yeah. photograph. We don't, we haven't done a lot of photography. You should come. I might just do that. So our last question is what artist or artists, if you can't narrow it down to one, should our listeners go check out? And this could be somebody you've just discovered, somebody you've long known, living, dead, uh, somebody who's inspired you. Oh, gosh. Well, you've had him on your show. I think Ryan Fox is an amazing watercolorist mm, and an amazing, an amazing teacher. He, uh, I love his ability to explore the medium, go off in different directions. I'm apologizing for my dog moaning in the background. Um, he is creative, but it all looks like Ryan, but it's different. It's not like a lot of people advise you 
once you're in a gallery to make your art all very consistent and you know if you're he does poured watercolors and he does batik watercolors and he does traditional watercoloring and he teaches marketing he, he he's he's kind of a really amazing guy but it all looks like ryan and i think a lot of it's because it's based on um his photography his travel photography and and his color choices and so there, it unifies it and um, i would recommend looking at his work I think L.P. Memler does some gorgeous florals that I would love to be able to paint like her. I think she's in Norway or somewhere. In, she's somewhere in Europe, Western Europe. And those are two. That, okay. That'll work. Okay, great. No, I, I look forward to, uh, to exploring them uh, further. But uh, one of the things that intrigues me with Ryan is and I think this is a, some great advice as well is, you know, keep pushing yourself technique wise. Uh, he just exactly. did the, the whole poured uh, wet method. Uh, he's done a whole series on social media about getting into this new technique. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of brave, you know, putting it out there on social if you're going into this new space and it's probably not working quite the way you originally thought it would. Right, right. Um, and he's very, open like that. He'll, he'll tell you everything he knows about how to paint. You know, he'll, he gives wonderful advice and he's just, just who he is. There's no pretense there. And he's very kind. Well, excellent. Well, this has been a fun discussion and uh, I feel like I've gotten to know you a little bit better. So I really appreciate that piece of it as well. Well, I've really enjoyed it too. Thank you. All right. So uh, if folks want to see more of your art, uh, I believe they can go out to uh, loisblastberg.com as well yep. as come down to the Cary Gallery of Artists to see your work in person. Yes, they can do either. Thank you. And uh, where else? Might... Instagram, of course. And... Yeah. Uh, and well, I'll include in the show notes uh, links to your website uh, as well as your social handles so people can check out your work as well as that of the artists that you have called out. Thank you very much, Chip. And with that, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Artist Spotlight. Tune in next time as we explore the artistic journey of another contemporary artist. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Artist Spotlight with Chip Freund find accompanying blog posts at shipfrointphoto.com slash blog and you may subscribe to our show on amazon music apple podcasts spotify or wherever you like listening